0: Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a great morning, it already has been, I hope you're awake and have plenty of coffee. Today we're starting our new series, before we jump in, I told you guys last week I love a good challenge, and I like to accomplish said challenges, and so we're stepping into this Operation Christmas Child to beat every record we've ever had, and and I challenge us to take this, and, uh, and what is it Roz said, whatever you did before, do one box more, right, and i said um, if if there's trouble double and we had all these different statements and things and 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 this week we had somebody who said you know what? i'm i'm going to step into this and jump into it and so gary Lytell over here the Lytell electric they he he goes i want i want 100 boxes for my company and I, okay so they got and then and there was one of our guys yeah okay come on one of our guys um, took a box back, and all his roommates saw it, and um, he explained what was going on, and they asked, "Well, we, w- we want to do it too." So they came and got 20 more boxes. And so um, we just love to see Operation Christmas Child is such a great way, um, such an easy way to love God and love people during this time of the season. And we're going to have more opportunities coming up, but right now let's step fully into that one. All right? Can you have the high schoolers by the fireplace. High Today we're talking about parables and how they hold the secret of God's kingdom. Parable is a simple story that within it has a great big truth. So we're going to talk about these parables of Jesus. And I want to let you know my heart today. I showed up today from a really heavy weekend. Um, My uncle's memorial and a bunch of other things. And I showed up this morning and I have to, I'm going to admit something to you that I normally wouldn't. I was just empty. And I'm feeling drained today. And I was like, you know know what you do when you're a pastor? You put on your pastor's face and you just double down, you know? And I thought about it and I really felt like God saying, listen, many of us are showing up today drained. Many of us are showing up today low on hope. Many people are showing up today low on forgiveness or or low on whatever it could be. And so I just want to let you know that um, it doesn't matter if the preaching, if I'm a one or a ten, that doesn't do anything. We have to have God's presence show up. For what we want to happen here in this room, for hope to happen, for, for salvation, for life change, we got to have Jesus to show up. And so I'm with you. We all show up with our different weeks and different weekends, but we're all here for one thing, to hear from the divine God of the universe who wants us to leave different. I'm all about that. And so, um, so today as we go into these parables, I believe God has something for us. And, and a parable, remember, it's just a story with a deep truth within it. And here here in um, the Western society, in America, we love facts. And on the Eastern society, especially in Jesus' time, they loved stories and pictures. And so if we asked someone today here in America and someone back in Jesus' time, what's the kingdom of God like? Well, somebody here in America would say, well, it's three things, and they are alliterate. It's powerful, it's perfect, and it's probably 60 miles in diameter. Give me the facts. And and, someone in Eastern culture would say, God's kingdom. It's like a man who had two sons. It's like a treasure that was hidden in a field. And so today we're going to go through, because these parables are powerful. They're powerful because we can all enter into it many different times in many different ways. And for those of you who are here today and you're like, I've heard this one since I was a kid, um, don't sleep on it. Because God has something new for you even in this. Jesus' parables reveal the secrets of the kingdom, and he, he hid truth in these parables. But he didn't hide the truth from you. He hid the truth for you to discover. And that's one of the beauty of God's words, is finding the truth that he hid for us. And parables are power. Today um, was supposed to be a different sermon, but on Saturday, yesterday, God was obviously leading me to make some adjustments. And so I made this a two-week uh, A little mini-series. So we're going to do this week and next on the prodigal because I believe God has some surprises for us both weeks. And so make sure you come back next week to see what, what God's going to continue to do. And in fact, the whole month of November is going to be powerful. So let's kick off. The prodigal son. Classic parable. I'm going to start us off in Luke 15. You can turn there. You can scroll there. Or you can read along with us on the screen, whatever you'd like. Who is there? Now, there, w- now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, that's the religious elite, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so right away we see his audience is full of those who are far from God, the professional sinners and those who are close to God, the professional religious people. And the religious people aren't very happy that the, uh, the sinners are there. It starts in verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my inheritance. Now, both sinner and saint would have been shocked at this parable right away. Because this son says, listen, dad, you're dead to me. Because when do you get an inheritance? When someone's passed. Dad, I want my inheritance now. You're dead to me. I want your money. Father, what you have is more important than who you are what you have to offer me is more important than your heart. For some people, we would say, um, what comes from God's hands is more important than knowing God's heart. This son says those things. I want what you have to offer me. And this is shocking to the people listening. And this would not have gone over well in this t- day and age the, because the, the son, when he asked this, this would have been a huge dishonor. And the father could have removed him forcefully from the family. You see, the, the son might want the father dead, but in reality, if he did this, he would become dead to the father and the family and the village. He would have been living in exile and this son would have been kicked out of the community. He probably would have had to travel to a far off place. He would have been destitute and he might have ended up trying to eat the food of pigs someday. But God didn't do that. Remember, Jesus is telling this parable about God's character. So God the father, he doesn't do that. He's heartbroken. But he grants his son a wish and he says, so he divided the property between them. He divides the property. He gives it to him, the son. And the word for property here is bios, where we get the word biology. It means life. The father divided his life. He divided his livelihood. He gave big from who he was. And in fact, when you sell off that much, this would have greatly affected the family. Not only prominence in the community and status, but also just loss of finances. And there would have been servants and others involved in what they sold that would have been unemployed. This was a big deal. This was hurtful. So, what does an entitled kid do when he gets a windfall of money? Well, he does exactly what we think he would do. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, he packed up, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Wild living, that is code for a lot of different things. But first of all, he's in a, different, a distant country and this, this phrase would have meant something to the, the Jewish audience listening because this let them know he went to a non-Hebrew community, to an unclean community back in those days with unclean people who didn't love God and a good God-fearing boy like, like the older brother never would have gone to such a place So he went and had some wild living. He went to the wrong city and did the wrong stuff. And the question here is, which sins did he commit? All of them. He committed all the sins. He he denied himself nothing. If it was there, he did it. In our culture, this would be like an 18-year-old getting money and going to Vegas. Because in Vegas, you can really sin. I mean, if you told me, hey, I took my inheritance and I went to to Basalt, I wouldn't be that worried about you. (laughs) You got a pot pie and you went to the park, it's great. (laughs) But, but if you told me I got my inheritance and went to Vegas, I know you've probably seen some things your mom doesn't know exist. You know, this boy, this boy, he goes all in. To the distant land and wild living. And there it says he spent everything. He spent all the money. He blows it. Can you imagine him in the clubs just making it rain? VIP bottles. I mean, he is is living it up. And he has this whole group of Klingons who just follow him around, enjoying the parties. But soon, the money dries up. And we find that not only did the money dry, dry up, But the economy dried up too, and so did the soil. Because if you keep going in this verse, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Now the famine hits, and they're in real trouble. And the listeners are just shaking their heads. This kid, he tells his dad, you're dead to me. He goes to the wrong place. He does the wrong things. And then there's a famine that hits, and they probably turn to each other because they don't know how it's going to end but they know this boy's going to get what's coming to him. He's gonna, he's, it's going to happen. They're going to watch this unravel. So he went, the boy went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, a foreigner, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And to the crowd listening, the crowd live right there listening, there would have been audible gasps. And one of the southern Jewish ladies would have fanned herself. Oh, oh, mercy. Like, you know, I can't believe he just did. Even the professional sinners would have said, oh, no, he didn't. Because you see, after all that he did do, you don't go and work with the swine if you're a good Hebrew boy. Because those they're unclean. The Old Testament is explicit not to not to be around them, especially don't feed them and hope you can eat what they're eating. I mean, what they're saying here is that this, this boy has done everything, everything wrong. Everyone in earshot is offended by this kid's actions. And it's not even like there was a tax collector or a prostitute there that's like, well, maybe he still has a chance. No, culturally, this is catastrophic. You don't come back from this. You don't walk home and they go, ah, oh, you know, here's another chance. You have done it all wrong. You are completely unclean. You have brought major dishonor on the family. That's it. Now, he hits rock bottom in verse 17 and comes to his senses. It says, he came to his senses. And I love this verse. Have you ever had one of these moments where you look in the mirror and you, you see the real you? Have you ever had one of these moments where you come to your senses and you see the, the true road of the future of your decisions if you keep going you see what your past has actually brought you to you ever have these moments where you come to your senses maybe morally maybe spiritually he looks around and he sees that he's in the pig pen and not just physically but his whole life his whole life is summed up by this pig pen there that he is in it says he came to his senses and he said how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and yet here i am starving to death he has a dead-end job with no hope, but he remembers something because he used to be the son and servants used to bring him food and serve him. And he remembers probably seeing them eat sometimes, maybe downstairs later or after. And he's like, even those servants have more food than I have. Maybe I could go back and be a ranch hand or a waiter in my dad's place. At least then I'd have some food. And so he comes up with a plan and he has a speech to go with it. Listen to this. He goes, I'll set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, <clears throat> Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I mean, it's a great speech, it really is. But below it, it shows that he's not worthy to be a son. And guess what? He knows it. He knows it. He left with pockets full. He's coming back with nothing, completely empty handed. He's lost everything. But he has this dream that maybe if, maybe if I could just come on and be a servant, I could, I, could, I, could, I could pay my dad back. Over a lifetime, I could just pay him back and it would all be okay. He figures out that, that with a little bit of penance, maybe he can make things okay. And, and we're like this. Did you know that? We have a really hard time believing that forgiveness and grace are free. Whenever we're far from God, we go, Man, well, if I could just go back and, what's my best plan? My best plan is to go back and pay it off. Somebody has to pay for what I've done. I'll pay for it. I'll go to church. I'll explain things to him. I'll pay my dues. I'll never do those things again. We have our speech all prepared. And there's actually some religions that actually play into this, and, and they give you penance so you can pay your way back into God's good graces. And so the son is in the pig pen, and he comes up with this plan to skulk back to his dad as a servant. So he got up and went to the father. Now, can you imagine this? Can you imagine what's going through his head and his heart? I mean, he's probably replaying the last conversation he had with his dad over and over and over. He thinks back through it. He remembers being there with his dad in the office, and he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. And he sees the hurt on his father's face. He sees the, just, just, just the wound on his father's eyes as he, he tears up. He, he knows he doesn't deserve his father's grace. He remembers when he left, backpack and pockets full, going down that path to go off and see the big world. And he looks back and he sees his dad there on the porch. Last time he ever saw his dad was right there. And he leaves. And he's not coming back the same way he he left. No backpack, no smile, no change of clothes. And he goes back over his speech. Maybe I can be a servant. Maybe I can be a servant. Verse 20. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him. You see, many years ago, the father had watched this very son leave. Many years ago, the father had sat there and watched that path as his son had walked down it. And Jesus tells us that this is the father. The father is sitting there. Now, did you ever wonder what the father is watching for? What could he be looking for? Remember, Jesus is saying, this is a story, this is a parable about our Heavenly Father. This is a parable that gives us inside information on God's character. So why would God sit there and wait and watch the path? Do you know why? Because God longs to see his boy. He wants to see his boy. So Of course he's waiting. It's his lost child. So he's watched for weeks, months, who knows how long. This is the nature of God. This little nugget tells us so much about our Heavenly Father's heart that perhaps every day he'd gone out and gotten his favorite chair and sipped some coffee and watched that road. He had not given up on his son even though his son had given up on him. He didn't despise his son even though his son despised him. This is the heart of a daddy who misses his boy. And think of the, the nerves that the son is experiencing as he crests that final hill. And think of what he expects. After all he's done, he expects to to crest that hill to somehow find his father. And what he's going to see is a furrowed brow and a frown and some crossed arms, shaking of the head. Didn't think I'd see you here anymore. Maybe a turn back, walk inside and close the door. He didn't know what to expect, but he doesn't expect it to be good. He could expect his dad to say, oh, you think I'm dead to you, son? It's you who's dead to me. You've done too much. Which leads me to an important question. What do you believe God's face looks like when he thinks of you? Serious question. I know it's kind of silly. What do you think God's face looks like when he thinks of you? What do you think he feels when he thinks of you? based on the stuff that you've done in your past, based on maybe what's been done to you, or maybe your lack of faith, or you don't even want faith, or the way you've been living, do you feel God's arms are crossed about you? Brow furrowed? Frown? Who do you think you are coming back here? Who do you think you are approaching me? I know what you've done. How do you feel God feels about you when he thinks of you? You see, many people believe that God wears a frown and that God wants us to crawl back and be, be really sorry and maybe, maybe pay some penance and, and work it off with good deeds and, and clean up our act and go to church nice. And then after we've cleaned up our act, maybe, um, maybe then he'll take us back. Maybe then we'll be presentable to God. What do you believe God's face looks like right now when he thinks of you, right this second if you could see his face, what do you think it would look like to you as he thinks of you? The son crests the hill, and the father looks up the path, and he sees a silhouette. Now, the father knows that walk. He, he was there when that person took their first steps. He knows his son's stride. Now, it's a little more stooped. His, his head is down, but, but he knows that's my son. The sinful son looks down the far road and sees his father on the deck. The same place he saw him when he left. The son knows his father. The son knows his father sitting in the chair. The boy sees his father see him. Eyes meet. This is the moment of truth. And you know the son is wondering, what is my dad going to do? And perhaps you're here today, and there's a lot in your past that you were just not proud of. Perhaps you were very aware of what the younger son is feeling right now because you felt it coming into church today, that little bit of like, oh, no, what's going to happen? I invite people to church, and they go, oh, I'll burst into flame in there. I go, well, I haven't yet, so. Perhaps you're aware of what the young man's feeling because you feel that. Like when you consider coming closer to God, what do you feel Do you get that nervousness? Maybe I don't know what he's going to think. Maybe you've considered coming to him for the first time, and you don't know him. You don't know how he's going to react to you. You know, those of us who feel far from him in our head and our hearts, those of us who feel far from him in our faith or lack thereof, and those of us who, who feel far from him because of our behavior and the things we've done and are doing, today if we were to come closer to God, how would he receive us? How would he respond? Jesus is telling us a parable that has within it the seeds of the secret of God's kingdom and the character of the heavenly father. This will show us how God responds to those of us who feel we are too far gone. We've done too much. The son, hoping to be a servant or a slave, sees his father looking at him. Son and father lock eyes over the distance and they both freeze as time stands still. And to the son's horror, his father stands up, steps off the deck, and begins running at the son. And the boy is shocked. Oh no, it's worse than I thought. He, he doesn't even want me on the property. He's, he's gonna meet me up here. The father runs to the son. Now, now culturally, you may have heard this, that that patriarchs in the Hebrew society do not run. This would be very uncouth. He would have to, to lift his robes and with untanned thighs sprint across. Patriarchs did not run. They especially did not run to sinful sons who wished you were dead. No, no. You see, honor required that that son, he come back to me. For the father to run toward him would be even more dishonor. Justice requires that that son come crawling back and let me know just how, how bad he messed up. For the father to sprint toward the boy. Before, he even knew if he was going to apologize. We don't know why he's back. He could come back and ask for more money. He doesn't care. He runs toward his son. It would have been unheard of, and the crowd listening would have, would have kind of been shocked. This, this parable is taking a different turn This is not how it's supposed to go. The sinful son, he doesn't know the father's heart. He doesn't know the father's intentions as he sprints toward him. And the boy's stomach sinks as his father runs toward him. Oh, no. He's going to come out and tell me exactly what I'm worth. And he's right. The father is running to his son to tell him what he's worth. What do you see on God's face? When you come back to him. When you come to him for the first time. What do you see on God's face when you have, you have messed up so big and so bad for the thousandth time? What does his face look like to you? What do you see on God's face after a lifetime of, of, of turning your back on him, coming to him for maybe the first time? or maybe coming back to him after a long time away? You see, religion tells us that God doesn't come to us at all that we have to creep back to him. And we got to work our way into these good graces. But the boy watches as the father gets closer. And as the father runs closer, the boy sees his face and sees there's no anger. There's no disapproval. And what he sees are tears. He sees tears and a smile. And before the boy can connect the dots of what is happening in this moment, his father gets to him, hits him in a hug, and says, My son! my son. It goes on and it says this, while the boy was a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, this statement about the father being full of compassion, the Greek word here is splachnizamai. Everybody say splachnizamai. Say it louder and better. Splachnizamai. Yes, that's what the, that means what it means is to be moved at the core of your being and the deepest part of you. Something moves so powerfully, you cannot contain it. And it says here that the God Almighty feels the mine. And he's moved at such a such a deep level when he saw his son. He could not stand to be on the deck another second. He would not let that time go by. He was moved in the deepest part of who he was, in orchard and people visiting. God is moved at his deepest core when you want to be near him. And it doesn't matter how far you've gone or what you've done. When his son and his daughter returns or comes to him for the first time, he is moved from his core for you. This is the heart of our God. Jesus is declaring in this parable, "This is our Father. This is your Father." In Jesus, this is who our God is, and this is who He's revealing to us. Now, the son is there being wept over by the father, by the dead. But, but what about his speech? What about remember he has that that, that was really good religious speech he was going to do? It was, it was just really good. He rehearsed it, and so he kind of gathers himself, and his dad's still hugging him and crying over me. The son said to him. <clears throat> Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, we don't know in the story if, if the father heard him or, and didn't care or just didn't hear him because right here, the father interrupts his well-oiled speech with, with some of his own. And think of this. Whenever you come to God for the first time or you come back to God for the millionth time and you have it all, <clears throat> that speech ready and you even threw in some religious words so he could understand it better and you're like, I have sinned and had many transgressions and I'm here for redemption and salvation and sanctification and I, and I will tithe and I will serve and I will, I will work and I will work and I will work, please be good with me and he interrupts us. He just cuts you off. But the father said to his servants, yelled, Quick, bring the best robe and put put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet. And these three things mean something in that day and age. Sandals. Slaves and servants went barefoot. But sons, sons wore sandals. Ring, this is the signet ring of the family with the family crest on it. This is restoring authority and trust to this boy. And then the robe... It says, the best robe. Now, there's a double emphasis here in the Greek, and what it would read is, bring me that best robe. He's talking about a robe. Bring me that best robe. Servants, you know the one. Bring me that one. Now, what's that best robe? In the Father's house, who has that best robe? It's the Father's robe. You know the one. Bring me that one. Bring me that best robe. He is mine. Jesus is being crystal clear here. If you come to God, you come back to God, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what sins you've committed, how far you've gone, how weak your faith, what you've said about him, if you've never even been to church, when you come to the Father, he covers you. You see, we come to him with our sin and our past, knowing we aren't clean. And Imagine how unclean this boy is. He has sinned it up with the all-stars. I mean, he he has put some points on the board when it comes to sin, I mean, he squandered the money. He told his daddy he wishes he was dead. He was feeding pigs. He was far off. He hasn't showered. He has the same pair of clothes. He smells terrible. He looks terrible. He comes to the father in a terrible condition. And notice that the father puts his robes over the rags. The father didn't need the son to go clean up before he came back. The, the father didn't say, go take a bath before I restore you. He didn't say, go clean up your act before you get my forgiveness. And God doesn't need you to clean up your act for his forgiveness. God doesn't need you to clean up your act for his forgiveness. It doesn't matter how filthy your life is. It doesn't matter how weak your faith is. It doesn't matter how, how wrecked your past or how broken your present condition. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long you've ignored him, walked away from him. He puts his faultless nature over our sin nature. The robe of royalty over rags of sin. This is the offer, offer of God. This, 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 you do not have to clean up to come to God. You come to God and you let him clean whatever he would choose. This is amazing. The boy's best plan, the best plan he could think of was I'll come home and I'll be a servant in my father's house. Could you imagine how awkward it would be if sons and daughters came home and then had to go wait tables and clean up after other people? It would, just, it would be awkward, it wouldn't work. That was his best plan, but in the father's house, that was not even a possibility. Jesus is telling us about his father and his nature and in God's kingdom, you don't come home a sinful servant, In God's kingdom, you don't skulk back into his presence and with penance make up for your mistakes. In God's kingdom, you come home fully a son, fully a daughter, restored. You don't go work. You just are. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he's now he's found so he began to celebrate the father calls calls for a party and the ancient word here for alive again is anazel Might say anazel anazel means to be revived from the inside to full life again to be revived from the dead and this word anazel is god's offer to us you see sometimes the people we get we get this mistaken we think the best thing god offers us is someday i'll get to go to heaven now, that's great. But on God's offer says this. Don't wait for someday. Right now in your life today, I'm going to bring life to the full to you. I'm going to give you more peace and patience and love and grace and goodness. The, the best part about going in God's kingdom is not what he does for us just someday, but what he does for us today. On a revived life from the dead to live a new life now. God's offer is this, forgiveness in the past, peace in the present, and hope for the future. That's Anaziah. If you're far from God here today because of what you've done, it is time to come home. I'm not even gonna apologize on this this ending. It is just time to come home to the Father. He does not have condemnation for you. You don't have to skulk and, and creep back in and pay your penance. Because Jesus died on the cross for you, you are his son, you are his daughter, and he covers you. In his robe, in his goodness, and your sin, it's forgiven. And you take your place in his kingdom as son and daughter. So, for you who are prodigal, God says it's time to come home. If you're far from God, it's time to come home. Your father's been waiting for you. He will continue to wait for you, even if you say no. But he longs for you to come back home for him. Yes, he knows what you've done. All of it. Yeah, even that. And that too. He knows it all. I want you to come home. He forgives you, and he loves you. So, for those of us here today, I want to give you an opportunity to pray with me. Maybe you have been far from God your entire life. Maybe you've never even come to God before. This is the first time. Maybe you want to come back to God. I want you to pray a prayer with me. We're all going to pray together so we won't you know, know who it is, but all, let's, all, let's all pray. And if you're here today and you want to pray this, this is, the, this is what we pray to say, God, my life is with you. I am receiving you into my heart. I'm placing my faith in you. So pray this with all your heart as we pray it out loud. Jesus, I need you. Oh, I've sinned. But you died on the cross and rose again. I believe it. I put my faith in that. I ask you to put your spirit in me. God, I come home today. Forgive me of all my sins. Cover my rags. I am your son, I'm your daughter. Amen. Now, for, for the others of you who here today, and this is split into two because there's, there's two more characters in this story that we're gonna look at. But for some of you here today, I got the sense this morning as I was just praying about this that there are some people in here who would say, well, that's a, that's a great parable for those people who are far from God, but I'm doing pretty good. I just wanna ask you, you might be doing pretty good, but we all have some little brother in us. We all have some younger son in us. And you might think you're doing good, but, but you have a private pigsty somewhere in your life that you love to wallow in. And God wants you to know today that you need the same grace as that person who seems far from them. And that today you need to come home and you need to get honest about the grace and forgiveness you need and open up about your pigsty. So as we go into worship and as we have communion, I want to remind you, if you're a guest of ours, this is the symbol of Christ's broken body and shed blood. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And there's no qualifiers beyond that. You don't need a class. You can come take this today. And as you sit there and go back to your chair and you sit with the, the symbol of his broken body and shed blood, I want you to thank him for providing a way to the Father's heart. And I want you to ask him, where am I far from you? Where am I far from you? And let him speak to you. And don't, you won't hear condemnation. You'll hear love. And then come home. Amen? Let's do business with God.